you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, decessions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us not keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying of each other. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name's Steve, if we haven't met, and I have the wonderful privilege of uh, opening this passage up uh, for us today. Uh, But first, let's just give this time uh, to God in prayer. Father God, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts uh, this morning be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. What is freedom? It's an enormous question. Uh, that philosophers have wrestled with over the last few millennium. Uh, There have been countless theories proposed. So one uh, is from a Greek Stoic philosopher called Epictetus, and he spoke of freedom in this way. He said, Is freedom anything else than the right to live as we wish? Nothing else, he says. Epictetus defines freedom as ultimately being about us and our individual liberties. But it's not just him that thinks this way. Uh, Recently, the National Geographic uh, did a survey of a bunch of people from all across the world, people from many different cultures and backgrounds, asking them, what is freedom? And these were collected for a show called The Story of Us, uh, hosted by a man aptly named Morgan Freeman. Now, the answers uh, are interesting, and they all seem to have one thing in common. Let's see if we can pick up on this. So the first one is a man from Bulgaria. He said, to me, freedom is being yourself being who you are. Uh, Next, we have a man from Serbia. He said, freedom is that I can run naked on the streets, for example. Complete liberty. Uh, Young boy from Hong Kong said, freedom is doing what your heart wants. In the Philippines, freedom is the power to create your own existence in this world. And finally, the token Aussie in the video, they said, freedom is not working and going to the beach. You probably expect that answer from an Aussie. But in all of these answers, there's one thing that they had in common. That is, freedom is all about me. It's all about my ability to create my life, to have the freedom to do what I want and what I think is best. Now, given that today uh, is Father's Day, I thought I might share a little story about the freedom my kids have, uh, and particularly how they respond when these freedoms are taken away. 
You see, my household, we're, we're big breakfast cereal fans. Uh, in the cupboards, we usually have about five or six boxes of anything from Kellogg's and Uncle Toby's and so on at any given time. And the one thing my kids love doing each morning is mixing their cereals all together. A small portion of Nutrigrain mixed with Kellogg's cornflakes. Uh, three different Uncle Toby's Plus varieties all mixed together. Uh, but my absolute favourite uh, is crushed wheat bix with Wheaties sprinkled on the top. I don't think they realise that it's just a bowl of the same stuff. But some mornings we have less time on our hands. We're a little bit short on time. This means the freedom to mix their cereals are sometimes not open to them. And when I tell them that they can't mix their cereals, that they need to pick just one and stick to it, well, that's when the smiles turn upside down. They begin to get cranky at me for limiting their freedom. And this sometimes turns into full-blown tears. You see, they don't like having their freedoms taken away from them. Their freedom of cereal choice matters to them. It's how at this age they create their own, I guess what some people would say, their own breakfast reality. But as much as this illustration might be a little bit humorous, um, I think this is actually true of all humanity. When our freedoms get restricted um, or denied, when we're told to limit our freedom for the sake of someone else, we might often try and find a way to get around that or a way at least to include ourselves in this new plan, because we don't like having our own freedoms restricted. And as we've seen from the quotes uh, earlier, this idea of freedom being all about self, well, it it spans all cultures and creeds. Uh, And as we've seen from the quote with Epictetus, it seems to go throughout all of time as well, which I think is quite amazing, really. But when such a universal understanding of freedom, one that revolves around us and what we want... Uh, comes about, and we all think this way, it doesn't make sense necessarily that the opposite should then be true. And yet, in today's passage, Paul opens with this exact idea, that we are to use our newfound freedom in Christ not to do whatever we want, not to indulge in the things we like, but rather to use our freedom to serve one another humbly in love. So Paul begins the section in this way. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And if you have your outlines, this brings us to point one. Uh, Freedom in Christ is radically countercultural. Now, there are several things we need to understand uh, before we can come uh, really come to grips with what Paul means here when he says, Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Because from the outset, uh, it kind of sounds like he's saying, you're called to be free, so now be a slave to your neighbour. You're called to be free, but here are the restrictions. Here are the the conditions to that freedom. But what I want us to do is remind us very quickly about what Paul has been harping on about through this entire letter. You see, our acceptance before God, uh, it is free. It's not conditional on a set of rules. Uh, It's entirely free uh, through faith by God's grace. We're not justified because of anything we've done. So when Paul tells us to serve one another humbly in love, this isn't understood uh, to be understood as a commandment or a work which earns us salvation. He's not giving us a, a new rule to abide by, as if our acceptance before God depended on it. Rather, he's highlighting that our salvation should lead to this because we now live by the Spirit, as he says. In other words, God freely gave himself to you 
So now go by the power of his spirit in you and freely give yourself to the love and service of your neighbor, just as God has done to you. This is the fruit of God's spirit working in you. Right? It's almost as if his very attitude and nature, how he has acted to us, is now part of who you are because his spirit lives in you. And there's plenty of truth to this. Uh, if, we, if we flick down to the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which we'll look at in uh, more detail shortly, many of the, the list of virtues that we have there um, are those that we find are assigned to God. Things like love, forbearance, faithfulness. If you consider how many of the Psalms actually speak about these characteristics. Yet despite all these virtues being attributes of God, they've now been given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, some of you who have read the passage a bit more astute with it might be asking me, Steve, if it's not about the law, if we're not saved by following a set of rules, I get that. But what about when Paul is saying, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this command, love your neighbor as yourself, in verse 14? Isn't Paul telling us that we have to follow this command? Well, the answer is, in fact, no. Let me explain. You see, in the context of this letter, Paul has spent so much time and energy debunking the myth that the law justifies the believer. If you remember from my last talk a few weeks back, Paul even rebuked the Apostle Peter to his face for even play-acting, even pretending as if the law justified him. So Paul isn't going to turn around now all of a sudden and say, but we must keep this one law to love our neighbor as ourself. So while it might seem weird for Paul to then say the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this command, the statement here is more likely a jab at the agitators mentioned in this book, or the so-called Judaizers, right? the, these guys who are sticklers, sticklers for keeping the law. Right? They're accusing Paul of complete lawlessness. So here, Paul is effectively pushing back on them and saying, Christians, even though we're saved by faith and not by works of the law, well, we're still better at keeping and fulfilling are the essence of the law. We're better than they are at it because of our new identity in Christ. Christians can fulfill the essence of the law's demands precisely because the Spirit enables us to do so. We're not striving to be accepted by God on the basis of these things because that would be putting the cart before the horse. So that's the first thing that we need to understand. Uh, Loving service to our neighbour is the result of a life transformed by Christ not a moral requirement that scores us a ticket to heaven. Now, this is radically countercultural to the way the world understands freedom. See, where the world constantly sees self-fulfillment and self-indulgence as the source of freedom, Paul sees freedom as something which enables us to help other people to flourish. It's the exact opposite of how the world traditionally perceives freedom. But more than this, Paul addresses the idea of self-centered freedom, or dare I say, uh, most people's actual definition of freedom in the world, of following my own wants, my own desires, as being the exact opposite of freedom in this passage. You see, he argues that many of our selfish acts and desires are in fact enslaving us. And these are what he calls acts of the flesh in verse 19. So the modern narrative... This idea that freedom is doing whatever our hearts desire, whatever makes us feel good, is suddenly flipped on its head. 
See, Paul claims that those who act like this are in fact slaves to the flesh. And we'll unpack what this means a bit more in a moment. But for now, all I want us to see is that the world's understanding of freedom and the gospel understanding are almost exact opposites. Freedom in Christ is radically countercultural. And yet I think it's a truth that almost ironically is completely freeing. This brings us to point two uh, on your outlines, if you have them. The Spirit-led freedom helps us love our neighbour as ourself. Now, the one thing I haven't mentioned yet uh, is that this whole passage uh, has an undercurrent which shapes the way that we read it. In verse 15, it's up there on the slide, Paul writes, If you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by one another. Verse 26, we add to that, says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. And these two verses give us a little insight into some of the more personal issues that Paul is addressing in the letter. You see, various churches across Galatia appeared to be acting like ravenous animals, biting and devouring one another. They're provoking one another. They're envying one another. They're not getting along as well as they should, considering they share in the Spirit of God. There are certain levels of of disunity and distrust among these churches. And so as we read of Paul telling them to serve one another humbly in love, there's a tension here that we may not have seen before. There's a tension which, which colors everything we read. He's effectively telling them, guys, you've been saved by Christ. You've been given his spirit. Should you really be acting like you are the center of the universe now? So there's a real tension between living in the flesh, as Paul says here, and living in the spirit. And Paul is warning them not to bite and devour each other because these actions resemble the acts of the flesh, which is 19 to 21, those verses in chapter 5. And the end result, Paul says, if they live like this, in verse 21, then they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why is this the case? Because they're living in a way that demonstrates an incompatibility with the Spirit in their lives. Now, if you have your Bibles, verse 17, Paul brings up this tension. He says, The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. One of these things will build up the church, and the other will destroy it. So this undercurrent in the text of relational disunity and dysfunction Well, it colours the way we see the two virtue lists Paul's about to provide for us in the passage. So these uh, vice virtue lists, which was a a common uh, rhetorical function in a lot of Greek philosophy of this day, um, these lists contain a number of things, many of which, as we'll soon see, pertain to social issues within the church, because this was the underlying problem in the church of Galatia. So let's uh, start by looking at the Acts of the Flesh in verses 19 to 21. I've got them up on the slide as well. Uh, Paul begins the list with sexual sins. So he says sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Uh, Paul's inclusion of these are probably uh, just a simple way of rebutting the claim uh, from those agitators, the Judaizers, uh, these Jews that were accusing Paul of abandoning the law. Uh, He's most likely rebutting their their claim that throwing off the law of Moses uh, will inevitably lead down to the path of sexual impurity, like the nations around them. Then he moves on to religious sins of idolatry and witchcraft, probably for the same reasons. 
But after this, he lists off a bunch of social or interpersonal sins. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy before finishing with drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So of all 15 acts of the flesh mentioned in these verses, more than half of the ones Paul lists are attributed to relational issues. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. This is most likely because the Galatian church was in danger of falling apart due to these issues. And so by putting these under the category of acts of the flesh, he's firing a warning shot across the bow of the church. The logic goes, if you are actively participating in things which focus on your selfishness and arrogance and pride, then those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a very stern warning. Why? Because a life uh, lived in slavery to these vices is a sign that the unifying spirit of God isn't in you. Now, before you get nervous and start to wonder if you fit into these categories, you might be identifying a little bit too closely with some of these things. Uh, Hold off for a moment. Uh, Let me finish uh, taking us through the fruit of the Spirit, um, and then we'll explore how this passage actually applies to us today. Now, one common theme uh, that applies throughout the list of vices um, that we've seen here is that they're self-centered. And any philosopher in Paul's day, of which there were plenty, uh, they would have looked at this list that Paul had provided for us here and determined that even if we did a few of these things, we were, in fact, slaves. We were slaves to passion and to personal desire. We weren't free. And this is the irony that we see right back at the beginning of the passage. When Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love, he's saying it's actually the opposite. (laughs) Rhetorically, right, what he's doing here uh, is very, very powerful because it's in fact those who indulge in the acts of the flesh that are the slaves, They're the ones who are completely enslaved. But those who don't bend the knee at every impulse and desire that wells up inside of them, well, they're actually the ones who are free, free to deny themselves and free to love and serve their neighbor. So now we're going to move on to the fruit uh, of the Spirit. Again, context is really important here. So we're not to take this list um, and see it as a comprehensive list of all the fruit that the Spirit bears in our life. Uh, Arguably, this is just a sample. But we must remember that that Paul, when writing this list, is writing in the context of deep division within the churches across Galatia. Uh, The second thing we need to have in mind is that these qualities uh, aren't acts that we do, like the acts of the flesh. It's not a litmus test to see whether we are capable of showing love, but rather... These are the fruit or the natural outworking, right? the, the results of the Spirit in our lives. Having said this, uh, these aren't entirely passive qualities either. See, Paul indeed, he tells us in verse 24 that we have crucified our flesh through Christ. And he commands us in verse 25 to keep in step with the Spirit. These are all active behaviours of ours. And we'll address how this works in the third point in a moment. But these are fruit uh, which are only available in full 
if we are enjoined with God's Spirit. So Paul says here, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And given the context of disunity throughout Galatia, it's easy to see a few characteristics in this list that address this issue. Love, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. At least six out of the nine qualities can reasonably be attributed to the context of loving and serving your neighbour. Nonetheless, there are a few other things worth noticing about the list too. The first virtue, love. Well, this might be the most important one according to Paul because it summarises the demand of God's law in verses 13 to 14. We've got it up there. It says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. But the second thing in, uh, second thing is, we have a passage in Colossians 3, and Paul says that love binds together many of the virtues of the fruit of the Spirit we see listed here. Uh, it's up on the screen, so you can cross-check it with Galatians you have in front of you here. And I want you to notice how many of the fruit of the Spirit uh, show up in this passage. Paul says in Colossians three twelve to 14, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. These spirit-given qualities, with these, it's not hard to see how we're able to love our neighbour and how this demonstrates the spirit-led life. This brings us to point three, if you're using your outlines. Therefore, keep in step with the spirit. So remember what I said earlier about worrying that you might be ticking uh, too many of the acts of the flesh boxes and maybe possibly not enough of the fruit of the spirit ones? Well, your comfort should be in the fact that Paul himself is included in the exhortation to keep in step with the Spirit in verse 25. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice how he changes the pronoun. I haven't got the slide there for it. It's verse 25. He says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us, Paul included himself here, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us, again he includes himself, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. See, Paul knows how prone we are as sinful human beings to descend into selfishness and self-importance. He knows that despite having the Spirit of God in him, there is still a conflict happening. This is the conflict mentioned in verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. But Paul continues in verse 18, he says, But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. You see, in these times of conflict, Paul speaks about being led 
by the Spirit, letting the Spirit convict us of our sin and strengthen us to be able to turn away from it. But nevertheless, we must remind ourselves in the midst of all of this that nevertheless we are completely righteous in God's eyes through faith in Christ. And that means that although we wrestle with the flesh, and though we may not feel like we are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, we still belong to Christ. And therefore, the flesh has zero power to condemn us because it's been crucified with Christ. Uh, Earlier in Galatians, Paul introduces this concept. I think it's what I had on the slide. He says, I have been crucified with Christ in chapter 2. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, sin's ultimate power to condemn has been shattered at the cross. And along with that, we have a new status before God, righteous. So although we sin, we're exhorted to keep in step with the Spirit, as a way of reminding ourselves of our new status before God. Keeping in step with the Spirit also helps us see uh, the vile nature of our sin for what it is and helps us to want to turn away from it. So if you're one of those people worried that you're, you're ticking too many boxes in the acts of the flesh, well, I want to encourage you to say that you have nothing to worry about. Because the mere fact that you're concerned about your sin is a sign that God's Spirit is doing its job in you. If you have a chronic sin you're dealing with and you don't know how to shake it, well, the first step in dealing with it is to know your status before God and to consider, like Paul, that you have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So the life you now live in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. This doesn't mean that you'll suddenly become a saint. It doesn't mean that overnight your sin will disappear or in some cases maybe your lot in life but nevertheless it's an exhortation never to give up and to be actively keeping in step with the spirit by God's grace and for those of you who might be on the other end of the spectrum who might be thinking you're doing pretty well you look at the fruit of the spirit and you think you're doing a pretty decent job of things you know you've got decent self-control good love, good patience, and so on. Well, firstly, if you're married, ask your spouse how well you're doing at these things because you'll probably get a different answer to what you may think. But in all seriousness, remember this, right? Even Paul knew he desperately needed help with these things. By including himself in the exhortation, right? Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Well, Paul's honesty here, his honesty towards his vulnerability to sin, should humble us into repentance, knowing that there but for the grace of God go I. So friends, I want to encourage us today to keep in step with the Spirit, to keep knowing the depth of our sin and to use this to love and serve one another. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Galatians 5. 
Lord, we thank you that uh, the fruit of the Spirit uh, isn't just a set of virtues that we aspire to pertain to, Lord, but they show us the problem of our sin. But Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us here today, you would help us to keep in step with the Spirit. May we feel the sting of our sin, but feel even more so the embrace of your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, Lord, who shattered our sin on the cross and brought us to you, our Heavenly Father. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.